and welcome again to the Get Up Speak Up podcast. Um, we are back. Sorry um, for no episode in a while. Had a couple call outs about that. Um, it's been the exam period um, and before that it was Christmas holiday. But back in the studio now and I'm here with Tom, big City fan and a big sports fan. Here to talk a bit about NFL um, and football. Thanks for coming on Tom. Thank you for having me. No, of course. Pleasure. Um, today on the show, um, in the wake of the Super Bowl, I'm going to talk a bit about being an NFL fan <coughs> in the UK and all that entails, some of the tries and tribulations of trying to follow the sport from here and why perhaps I disagree with some of the reasons that you hear from British sports fans as to why they don't follow the NFL so much and dig into a bit of that, um, seeing as it was just Super Bowl Sunday. And recently, YouGov have done a survey on VAR, which yielded some interesting results. And we're going to have a discussion about VAR, what that survey means, and what it means for the future of football. Um, and then Tom is a big City fan, and we're going to talk a bit about Man City's future. Interesting situation there, and talk about some of their senior players perhaps getting a bit old. David Silva leaving the end of this season, company last season. Talk a bit about that and what it means for City going forward. A Pep Guardiola graduate went to Arsenal and um, not doing too well. We're going to talk about Arsenal under Arteta and how that's going. And then we're going to round off the podcast with an interesting conversation about Liverpool's success this season. Is it being underrated or overrated? And have a conversation about whether you would rather go undefeated or get 100 points or win a Golden Prem or the treble. Interesting conversation there to round off the podcast. But just to start... Um, I think it's really important um, that I say this. I want to pay tribute to the late, great Kobe Bryant. Obviously, tragic news of Kobe and his daughter, Gigi, dying in a helicopter, tra- uh, helicopter crash um, recently in California. Um, Kobe was obviously such an idol. It's probably the biggest death we've had since MJ, really, since um, Jackson died. Um, it really shocked the whole world. And what I found so incredible about it was really the reaction from people that genuinely knew him. You could tell he was such a good guy, the way people spoke out about him. And it's so weird when you have those kind of people in your lives as such icons and such idols, you kind of picture them as never really ever going. They're gonna live forever, they're gonna always be there. And when you get that sudden news, it was a bit of a shock. I know I was really upset and I've seen lots of celebrities and lots of people in the sporting world, lots of fans, absolutely devastated, just tragic news. Um, but I just wanted to say a little word on that and what a legend. Thank you for all he did for basketball and all he did for people that he directly and indirectly benefited and inspired. So thank you, Kobe. Um, but sticking with American sports, um, I just want to talk um, a bit about getting into the NFL because it was the Super Bowl on Sunday. It was an incredibly exciting game. And now second and six, Williams makes a cut and will roll into the end zone for the touchdown no flags at uni people were watching it um i was definitely watching it because my chiefs were there and won um but i want to talk a bit about um getting into the nfl because you hear a lot of british fans talk about it and uh, all the stoppages and they don't really understand the rules and not really into it. it's a bit boring particularly football fans uh, but me and tom are both nfl fans um and Tom, why don't you start by just talking about how maybe you initially got into it and what you like about the sport? So I think uh, being being a sports fan in general obviously means that you're interested in lots of different sports. There's something about sports that other forms of entertainment don't give. There's there's that 
that passion from the fans and there's the, the magical moments that you see um, such a, that that almost happened felt like almost every playoff game for the for the Chiefs coming back with by so many points. Um, I I got into I was playing Madden the game on the console at my yeah. friend's house. Yeah. Um, and I just loved the tactics yeah. in Madden and the the massive hits that you put on. Yeah. It's only a couple of seconds of action at each time, but every time it's full on, it's hundred percent. Yeah. Um, which I'd never really experienced with the sport before. So yeah. obviously my main sport's football, and and that's more the game plan's more of a process. You breaking teams breaking teams down, um, but with NFL you, you get a couple of seconds of a hundred percent massive hits, big t- tactics, yeah. and uh, that's what first interested me. In. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. How you mentioned the tactics there, and a lot of it is um, to do with kind of risk management. It's a real like chess match of. Um, risk versus reward and analyzing all that kind of things you know and what I like about it a lot of people complain about the stoppages but every everyone knows when the game's on the line everyone knows when it's the biggest play of the game who's gonna step up and make a play who's gonna beat their cornerback to the route who's gonna who's gonna go for it on third and 15 in you know their own half all that kind of risk management and once you get to know the game that's when you start to be more captivated by it because you, I think you start to get invested in the narrative of the sport. Like, this team moved up to draft this player instead of this player. Then you're interested in how they do. And it's kind of like, I don't know, it's a, you know, a series that you might binge watch on Netflix. As soon as you've watched the first two, three episodes, even if it's not particularly um, ostensibly your type of show, as soon as you get to know a couple of characters, and as soon as you feel like you kind of want to know what happens next, you suddenly are two series in and you're waiting for the next series to come out. Um, and I think it's very similar when you're getting into a new sport like the NFL. You might originally look at it and say, well, I'm a, I'm a football fan. What do you mean all this? What do you mean there's an advert every three minutes? What are you talking about? Why are they always changing players? But as soon as you start to appreciate what they're doing in those breaks, what's happening in those explosive couple seconds, and everything that goes into it, you start to get a bit more invested in the narrative and it becomes a lot more enjoyable. I think that might be something for um, UK fans to um, think about. You got a team yet? If you settled on a team, you're going to be back. Uh, I, so I think coming from being a British football fan, yeah. it's so difficult to see, um, to start to understand the culture of supporting a team in America. Yes. So Americans um, are very invested in individual players. So you'll see a lot of fans, such as when LeBron moves team in basketball, you see lots of people becoming Lakers fans. Mm-hmm. Um, you see people supporting individuals such as Patrick Mahomes, such as Lamar Jackson, now two young quarterbacks. Um, so it's difficult for me to understand this culture of sporting a club, um, which has made it difficult. I think the idea of choosing a club is very strange to me. Um, I know there's lots of jokes about being a Man City fan, but <laughs> I was I was essentially born a Man City fan, so my dad hasn't lived. I had to get out there. I have to bring it out early. Um, so so yeah, it's strange for me thinking about picking a team but I've always been drawn to the New York Giants and I'm not quite sure why oh dear um, I think reading up on them a lot of the, the giant killings of the Eli Manning era yep. um, beating the Patriots yep. when they went undefeated um, I guess I don't know maybe it resonates with me because when City were coming up killing the dynasty of Sir Alex Ferguson and, oh, and please, that um, please, on that please. sort of area 
Um, otherwise, I'm not sure. If you guys need a team, then definitely the Chiefs. Come to the Chiefs, man. Patrick Mahomes, to start his career, just to throw this out there, two years as a starter, one MVP, one Super Bowl, one Super Bowl MVP, best all-time quarterback playoff stats from his first two playoff seasons, first quarterback in playoffs to throw four touchdowns in one quarter, and tied second biggest comeback in Super Bowl history in his first Super Bowl. Come support the Chiefs. Um, <laughs> And if that's not entertaining enough for you, then there's always the halftime show if you're not too interested in the football. Moving on to uh, VAR. YouGov have done a survey which, as I said at the start, have yielded some pretty interesting results. Um, 26% of people are saying that it's being implemented very badly and 34% say fairly badly, which obviously accumulates to 60% saying it's been badly of some description. Um, I just wanted to know what you think about that, Tom. Um, what your opinion on VAR is, what you think these results show about how it's been implemented and how maybe it could affect the future of our game, because it's a fans first sport. Yeah, so I'm 100% with that 60% that think uh, VAR has been somewhat badly uh, implemented. Before VAR came in, uh, for the last couple of seasons, I was one of the people screaming for it. I thought football needed it. Um, I thought it would solve so much. Wow, so what changed? Uh, I think the way that it's been implemented has kind of been un unfore unforeseeable. You can't really understand something until it's truly been tested, which it has this season. Um, the the inconsistencies I didn't really foresee. Um, there's still the human error, so it still goes to a human in Stockley Park that's going to decide. Is that a bad thing? Yeah, I think it is. I think once it's been reviewed again and again, and it still comes out as the wrong decision, um, I think it's even more difficult to take as a decision. Whereas you can always use the excuse that refs on the pitch you can't see everything but when you have the uh, the opportunity to see the replays again and again and someone still gets it wrong that's when it hurts okay i i see i i really disagree um i really disagree and again i'm, I'm a staunch supporter of var and uh, it's kind of i still have a similar kind of sentiment about it um but what so why are the expectations suddenly so high for decisions VAR, again, it comes back to this point that I made, I think, in my first podcast where I was talking about the perfect being the enemy of the good. Why, if a decision is wrong, is that a reason to not have VAR or a big problem with VAR? Remember, before VAR, decisions were wrong all the time. Now, the expectation, as soon as there's VAR, is that every single decision needs to be correct. And that's not what VAR is actually about. It's not like oh, this decision was wrong, therefore VAR shouldn't be implemented. It, it should surely be more about, overall, how many decisions are right. Because remember some of the joke decisions we had before VAR. We're talking Oxlade-Chamberlain sent off instead of uh, Gibbs. It wasn't even him that made the tackle, things like that. That would never happen anymore. And it, I think people are suddenly kind of being really critical of VAR on every decision, any dis mistake it makes and forgetting that before VAR there were way more bad decisions more bad decisions and worse mistakes both before VAR so 
I don't understand why suddenly the expectations of the percentage of decisions that are meant to be correct is suddenly a hundred and anything wrong is an outrage and VAR is being is killing football. That notion just doesn't make sense to me. Yes, there are mistakes, but there were plenty more before. What do you say to that? No, I, I agree completely with what you're saying, but and I agree that it's a process, but at the same time, you look how quickly the Premier League has been to adapt and to change and to try and uh, make VAR better in the way it's implemented, and it hasn't done much. Um, if you look at rugby, you look at American football, yeah. um, the when there's a when there's a decision... Uh, well, so we were talking about American football before. When there's a decision on the pitch, the ref uses the microphone to notify the crowd. And How one useful would that be? It'd be VAR? so, yeah. So after VAR, just referee to the, with a mic to the, to the crowd, it's been ruled that this person was ahead of the ball here and is therefore offside. Yeah. It will be City's oh. ball from, the twi- from here. Yeah. And that would, I think some some small change like that would clear up the majority of the confusion. Um, also, I'm sure you've been in the in the stadium when it comes up on the big screen and it says oh, VAR check, and you have no idea why there's a VAR why check. Why there's a VAR check? Yeah, or well, it says like checking penalty, yeah. but it won't say whether it's a handball or a foul yeah. or a what. And although sometimes that might be obvious, sometimes it's not, and it's incredibly frustrating. You think about fans that are paid more money to be at the stadium to then be less in the know than mm-hmm. fans at home, yeah. and that is a situation which must be rectified. Again, though, that's something that can be rectified, so I'm not sure why the anti-VAR narrative is seems to be much more it's bad, it's killing football, get it out, than it is... Um, than it is, let's improve it, let's work on it. And that's that's me just saying that, speaking to people. Obviously, that the survey, the YouGov survey, doesn't get that specific. But that seems to be people's viewpoint. I'm really curious as to like why people are thinking in that way. It seems like a backwards way of thinking. I, I think you don't have to... You, you're able to disagree with something and still think it can improve. Just because I, I don't like... VAR and the way that it's implemented now doesn't mean I don't think next season will be better and the season after that will be better. Um, yeah. So what? So what are the key pitfalls for you then in how it's been implemented? <laughs> okay. Let's so say two key things that you would like that has to change. So the main one is the match day experience. Yeah. Um, it's the not being a fan and you have no idea what's going on. You, yeah. you can't see anything on the screen. You're not seeing any replays. You have no idea why the decision has been given. Yeah. Um, my second argument would be the similar to that. It's, it's the killing of the emotion. You can't fully celebrate a goal until... Uh, Sometimes until... you have to celebrate twice, though. <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, you're, you're right. You're right. Yeah, no. It, it, and every time you do score a goal, even if you think there's nothing, there's always that. You see someone turn around in the stadium, you're like, whoa, let's just... Yeah. See if see if there's a handball or something like that. Yeah. There's there's been situations like uh, Man City against Tottenham at the start of the season when Laporte it grazed Laporte's hand. And yeah. Couldn't really see if it actually grazed his hand or not. Um, and I think I think only the, I... the City goggles could make you not see that. It grazed his hand, but. But that rule's been changed now. Yeah, well, see, see, so it's it's like, being affected at, uh, by rules at the start of the season that inevitably affect a team, and then they change midway through the season for the better. But it's also that's still been you've still been hurt by that rule. That's true. Which is that's true in the same season. Adds yeah. to the controversy and stuff like that. But I guess 
I, oh, that well, that's another bugbearer of mine, though, with the kind of anti-VAR clan, is the conflation between the rules, not liking the rules, and not liking VAR. I mean, I've literally yeah. watched so many pundits on TV, like, screaming at my TV, when they're there, like, oh, that shouldn't be the rule, VAR. Like, no, VAR is there to help the referee. It's not a robot, like you said. It's not a rule maker. It's there to assist a human being in making a in applying the rules to a situation. So there being some mistakes and there being some controversy is not a failure of VAR. Mm. It's just uh, improving I'd... what we had previously. And I think people are very quick to forget how bad some refereeing mistakes were before. Mm. I'd be interested to hear from you, someone who who's still a big advocate for VAR. Um, how much do you think VAR actually helps the referees? Do you not think it makes them second-guess themselves and it makes them nervous to for for their decisions to be overruled? They're scared to give decisions now in case they get it wrong. So if you look at um, City against Tottenham at the weekend when City lost 2-0, um, there was a penalty decision given by VAR and then um, Lloris swiped Sterling and that wasn't given by VAR. I thought the second tackle by Lloris was more of a penalty than the first one. But do you think VAR had a play in that, that they didn't want to overrule the referee twice and kill his confidence? Well, my rebuttal to that would be, um, it's not VAR's job for the ref to have some balls. That's on the ref. Mm. Um, and that's just a psychological thing that refs would have to get over. Um, but also, my, I guess my rebuttal to that would be not... Uh, not really, because if you think about it, seeing as it's, you know, as this survey suggests, 60% of fans think it's being used badly, and a lot of people really, like, viscerally hate it, why would they continue to be pushing VAR if the refs didn't like You know, like, the refs are kind of mm. the pro-VAR union. And, like I say, the VAR actually stands for Video Assistant Referee. So it's assisting them, it's helping them. And I think... Um, the thing that's underappreciated about the referee job is how quickly things are live and how hard it is to make a decision. Uh, something that facilitates slowing that down, breaking it down and allowing them to have a second look. Although it may embarrass them a bit more because they, they, they have to kind of correct themselves in a way or get told they were wrong. Whether or not it, I would say, it hinders their ability to apply the rules of football to the game, which is the referee's job, I just don't see that is getting in the way but um, I think it's going to be the future of football I think fans need to be more patient and more like I mean like remember like remember more than two years ago when there were just ridiculous decisions being made and uh, no one seemed to um, no one no one seemed to compare them apples for apples they're just giving a whole new set of expectations to VAR but there you go. Anyway, you mentioned City a couple of times there. You couldn't quite resist. Um, I want to talk to you about City because I want to know if you have any reason to be worried. Last two seasons, you were by far and away... Well, not by far and away. The first one, the 100-point season by far and away. Second season, only Liverpool being amazing. Um, um, stopped you from being far and away. You still got on 97, 98, 98, point, 98 points. points. Um and I think to win your last 10 with Liverpool right there every time is a special in of itself, arguably more special than the century season. Um, Vincent Company then retired. Oh, no, he went to Anderlecht, which yeah. is basically retired. Basically retired. Um, and you've suffered since this season. 
David Silva said this season will be his last, and Aguero is getting a bit older as well. He hasn't said anything, but he's just getting older. Those I see as the three cornerstones of this generation of Man City success. Are you worried, considering the effect that company leaving has had, and considering David Silva is your captain, are you wor- and Pep's future's uncertain, um, are you worried that maybe next season or the season after might mark the end of you being 90 plus points and drag you much more closer towards top four races um, as you've been this season? I I wouldn't say I'm worried. I think being a City fan and understanding how lucky we've been over the fa- past few years and I'd say any City fan, if you were to give them these past few years that we've had since Sheikh Mansour has taken over, if we were now to go back even to what we were um, in the 90s and in the 80s, um, I think they'd take it. We've had such an incredible um, 10 years, 11 years, um, that I think worried would be the wrong word to use. Um, okay, better, more accurate question because I get what you're saying. Like you would always take yeah, it's, it's always take been it. so good that you can't really okay. Can't complain but, about what we've okay, had. Not worried then. Do you think there is a chance that you will now slide down? Because last five years you have been indisputably the best team in the country. Is it Liverpool's turn? Are you going to go back again next year? Or are you going to slide down? Because those are three really important players. And I've been surprised personally by the effect company... Obviously, the poor got injured, but by the effect of company leaving. And I'm just thinking, if David Silva leaves as well, Aguero's a bit old, he gets injured a lot. Are there leaders on that pitch? Is there enough to contend with this Liverpool machine? So, Vincent Company leaving was the day that no Man City fan would ever want to see. Um, it's still, like, thinking back about it, it's it's horrible not having him at the club. He's, he's somebody that defines what Man City has been since she- since he arrived, and then after that, Sheikh Mansour's takeover. Um, he's such an incredible... I'd, I'd rank him among the greatest captains of all time. Maybe a bit biased, but if you look at what he's done and, and how he's built that team around him, um, I think he's incredible. And at the moment, to have not replaced him as a player, as a centre-back, you can see Man City's defensive struggles this season, and to not replace him as a leader, which I don't think we have many many of uh in the dressing room, he's, he said David Silver is now our captain, but he's not the same leader in the way that Vincent Company was. Um, so, yeah. I, I do, I do worry. If you look at our spine that's defined the last ten years, you look at players like Joe Hart. Okay, Joe Hart's dead now. Um, and <laughs> just to confirm, not actually dead. <laughs> he's just terrible. Yeah, and and Edison's brought in, and I think Edison's an incredible goalkeeper. He's he's outstanding. Um, and then you look at the spine of Vincent Company, Yaya Toure, um, and just like a little thing, you look at Man City's penalty takers now. And before when we had Yaya Toure, every penalty would go in. Uh, just little effects like that. Then David Silva is one of the Premier League's greatest ever players. Um, and then Sergio Aguero. Um, I think it is worrying. I think it's a period of transition. Yeah. Um, you look at clubs who are in transition now. Um, such as United who have been transitioned for about six years. I was about, about to say, like, there'll be Arsenal and United fans listening who's, you know, the word transition people yeah. literally gives them a cold sweat, like it's not fun. Yeah, and I think when the word transition comes up, it doesn't mean we have to be bad. Um, like, 
like United have been. Okay. Um, I think we can still be good while going through tran- transition. I think next year, if Pep's head is still in it, um, which I don't know, you never know with Pep, it's an interesting situation when you have a manager at the club, at a club completely on his own terms that's been almost pre-built for him for the past six years. Uh, we've brought in directors of football, directors of transfers from Barcelona to pre-build this for Pep. Um, and he's there completely by himself. He can leave whenever he wants type of thing. Um, if Pep's head's still in it, I think we'll win the league next year. Champions League this year? Uh, I, I can't see it. By the way we're playing, I can't see I can't see it. Nah, Ronaldo, Ronaldo's going to take UV to the promised land. Anyway, um, talking about Pep though, one of his understudies at City, his, under, his uh, number two, um, Mikel Arteta, of course, went to Arsenal. Um, and, I mean, Arsenal this season have really got me scratching my head. Just to throw some crazy stats out there. Um, first of all, just a really strange one. Only Liverpool have lost fewer games than Arsenal, and only Norwich and Watford have won fewer games. So they are the king of draws this season. Um, and that's just an inc- almost incredible stat. Um but it does get worse the more you look at it. Lowest points total after 25 games since the 1912-13 season. Yes, the 1912-13 season. Um, and then Arteta came in. They looked great against us. Um, and I did remind Arsenal fans that they then joined the list of uh, Newcastle, Bournemouth, Bo- uh, Watford, and all the mighty teams that have toppled United <laughs> at home this season. But anyway, they looked great against us, and everyone thought Arteta was going to be new territory. Arteta's record of eight points from his first seven league matches is the worst record by Arsenal starting managers since World War One. Not looking good at the Emirates. Why can't they get it right? I think it's a really interesting one. If you look at it from a City's fan perspective, uh, a City's... City fans' perspective, um, I was looking at Arteta be, being the, the successor to Pep. Um, we had such high expectations for him, and I thought when he left to Arsenal, um, it was a bit of a silly move. You look at the predict- predicament they're in at the moment, and it's such a massive job. The players that they have, um, I don't know if you look, compare their squad to any other Premier League team, and where would it rank? Do, Leicester have a better squad than them. Wolves. Wolves. Sheffield United. United. <laughs> <laughs> They're the go-to reference to dig into a club right now, Sheffield United. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. But what I can't work about Arsenal, right? This season they've had three managers. Why are they all playing players out of position? Why is Aubameyang their best player, best striker, and maybe the best, in my opinion, I, I personally think he might be the best striker in the Premier League. I personally... I think he might be the bad. That's just me. I love the way he plays. Any which way, he's a damn sight better than Lacazette. Yep. So why is Lacazette playing nine with a Bamiang hugging the touchline, and Martinelli is also a better striker than Lacazette on the right? That just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Obviously, they've had injuries at left back, which has been unfortunate because they did bring in Tierney. His fitness has been a problem, so they got Saka there. Maitland Niles at right back. It's just everyone's just here, there, and everywhere. It's like one of it's like one of our teams. Like an 11 aside, just bringing in guys just to play in any position. Like, why on earth have three managers... Oh, and Pepe, 72 million, all three of them, have given him more minutes on the bench than on the pitch. 
What is ha- like? Why? What is going on with the personnel choice? I think it's so difficult to look at it from an outside fan's perspective. Yeah, there must be like something going on in training where, like, I don't know. There has to be. Pepe is just like doing nothing. And yeah. Lacazette looks amazing because it just doesn't make any sense. You, uh, so you got just to clarify, you got a winger on the bench, a striker who's not scoring up front, and a striker who is scoring on the wing. On both wings. On both wings. Yeah. And a winger at left back. And a winger at left back. Yeah. Um. I I don't know. I think. There's at Arsenal at the moment. It, could you put it down to a lack of identity? You've got someone like Arteta coming in, and uh, he's trying to build this style of football that's so hard to implement, especially in the Premier League. Um, is he just relying on the big name players at the moment, which is why he's trying to fit them all in at the, in at the, in the same starting eleven? Um, I I don't know. Maybe maybe he just doesn't trust some of. I, I I can't think. I just can't understand why you'd go out buy a winger, have one of the best strikers in the Premier League, and then play the winger on the bench, that striker on the wing, and then they brought this stud in from Brazil, Martinelli is a baller. That guy is a baller, and they've got him on the wing. It just makes no sense to me at all. But like, there's something weird about three managers doing the same thing, which. Firstly, makes no sense from the outside, and then also doesn't work. Hmm. Like, it hasn't worked for any of them. Like we said, Emery sacked, Lundberg, that was a bit embarrassing. And then Arteta, worst start since World War One. I. I mean, why don't they change? Um, it is very surprising, very shocking. Moving on to a club which has definitely not got the same kind of problems is Liverpool. Um, but I want to have a kind of conversation about how much credit they deserve, because... Obviously, people are going to be waxing lyrical about it, but we've just been through, touched on Arsenal and United. Um, Chelsea have been a bit up and down. Tottenham don't look very good as well as they have done the last few seasons. And Sheffield United, Leicester Wolves are all genuine top four contenders. So when we look at Liverpool and the ridiculous success they're having, just winning relentlessly, is it as impressive as City's 100-point season? Is it as impressive as um, the 2001 Man United team that won the league in April. Is it as impressive when the competition is so much worse? And it is so much worse because, like I was saying, Arsenal, United, Tottenham have like all been breaking their own records for worst starts to the season and City have fallen off. How much credit do they deserve? Are they getting too much? So I maybe coming from a United and the City's fan, it's not... Um, and I do always believe that Liverpool are always that like the media and the Premier League themselves. How much would they love to see Liverpool win the league? Oh God! Um, yeah, same. Um, and also, I'd, I'd put into that if I think Man City's title win last year was more impressive than the 100 point season because of the Liverpool team pushing us all the way and because of the amount of games we had to win at the end yeah. because of how good Liverpool are let's not take anything away from Liverpool a team that's only dropped points in one game this season by drawing not lost um, is a good team they're an incredible team um, but you can be an incredible team and get lucky yeah, oh yeah definitely um, Jay Stout United fan that yeah. do you remember when Michael Owen scored that goal 4-3 uh, yeah. do you remember 96-7 yeah. 8th minute yeah see so it's Fergie time when it's United but when it's City it's because you're a good side scoring late on because you're always pressing the other team um, 
Yeah, no. So, so you look at Liverpool. They have been lucky, but at the same time, they're an incredible team, and it's just something you have to accept. Um, are they as good as the other teams that have previously won the league? And is that because have they not lost yet? Because all the other teams are so bad. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Probably, but they've been able to maintain that standard while the other teams haven't, and that's something in itself. Yeah, how do they rank to you amongst all-time Premier League teams? Oh, I think it depends. You, you, if they go on to win the league undefeated, beat City's points total, um, then then they have to be up there. They have to be in the argument of the greatest Premier League team ever. So you're looking at United 1999, Arsenal 2004, mm. Chelsea, even Mourinho's season where he got 94, coming yep. that was 06, 07, and then um, obviously Man City, 100-point mm. season in 2018. Um, not, not, um, not definitely better or worse than any of those, do you think? I think I'd probably put them ahead of Mourinho. Mourinho's season. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I can definitively say any of the others till the end of the season, I guess. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you there. Yeah, that, that would be interesting to see. Now, a couple couple ones to ponder. I don't know what people will think about these two questions. Uh, let's try and make it not completely biased to <laughs> what like, our own teams have done. Would you rather go undefeated or get 100 points? Uh, it's so difficult to take away the bias because I think going 100 points is more impressive than and losing a couple is more impressive than drawing the amount of games that that Arsenal Invincibles team drew yeah um, so there's I, something about being undefeated I mean I, as I always say to Arsenal fans who talk about Invincibles they weren't Invincible mm. you weren't Invincible you lost in the FA Cup you lost in the Champions League name me something that's Invincible that lost in two competitions doesn't make sense undefeated in the Premier League is the technical term yes. that 2004 season not the invincible, I hate that bloody word. Who? What would you choose? I think I'd rather go... Having just said what I just said, mm. I will very hypocritically say I think I'd rather go undefeated. In the Premier League, I wouldn't walk around calling myself the Invincibles mm. if I lost in the FA Cup, the League Cup and the Champions League. But I would think I'd rather go... There's something about never being like no yeah. one got you. No it's, one got you, man. Something Literally, about that that no gold one Premier could League. Get you and yeah, it makes winning the Premier League. Whereas yeah. if you get 100 points, you don't get like a special Premier League mm-hmm. or anything. Um, so well, how about this then? Would you rather go undefeated or win the treble? Win the treble. Um, 100% win the treble. Yeah, I think. Uh, more trophies, more competitions. There's something incredible about the league that you're there every single week winning games, um, which is why I'd choose winning the Premier League over any other competition, which is weird for other fans to think, considering the Champions League. Yeah. But I think most City fans would say they'd rather win the league. It's week in, week out. But the collect the collection of, of trophies in the travel is more impressive. Seeing as they're already fuming, I might vex Arsenal fans a little bit more. And I actually, and this is serious, I genuinely believe this. I think the United 1999 season is closer to the definition of invincible than Arsenal's 2004 season. Because we weren't beaten to any trophy. Mm. You know what I mean? So in Mm -hmm. every competition we cared about, we won. Whereas they went undefeated in the Premier League then lost in the FA Cup and lost in the Champions League. I know that's going to be a very unpopular opinion, but I think United's 99 team 
did they weren't invincible either because they lost but it's closer to the definition of invincible than the Arsenal 2014 I genuinely believe that when you have when if you compare like the definition of an invincible you're competing in all competitions you win one by going undefeated and lose the rest or you win three losing in all of them I genuinely see the latter one as being closer to the definition of invincible what do you think about that? You're gonna, you're gonna no, back. I, I, I have to agree. As much as it pains me ah, to, uh, I have yes. to agree. <laughs> um, um, but no, that draws the uh, podcast to a close. Good chat. I hope I've persuaded the couple to follow some of the NFL a little bit and get a little bit into um, dabble a bit into American football. Hope it's raised some good questions on VAR and got people thinking about the Premier League. Thank you so much for listening, and see you next time on Get Up, Speak Up.